0: Welcome to Stuff Ian Likes, the podcast about stuff that Ian likes. My name's Ian Banks. I'm using this podcast to look at how some of my favourite pieces of art have changed the way I look at the world. It explores how art can affect the way we look at things around us, and it's a chance for me to go squee over things that I love. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the background of each piece. What you're going to get is a brief survey of what it is, what I like about it, and how it's influenced me in my own thinking. Thanks for joining me. This episode features two things I like. The first is A.S. Byatt's 1990 novel, Possession, and the second is Terry Pratchett's 2008 novel, Nation. They don't have a lot in common, save for being things I enjoy a lot, but I'm putting them together because they're both quite short pieces, and I don't think a podcast of around four minutes long is fun for anyone. I'll be doing something quite similar over the next couple of episodes as well, after which we'll head on back to the format of just focusing on one topic at a time. Let's get started. I've always liked an enigmatic layered title. My own writing was often given titles that conveyed multiple meanings or made obscure puns, mostly for my own enjoyment, of course. Well, purely for my own enjoyment, really, when I get down to it. But A.S. Byatt's 1990 novel, Possession, is just full of these layers and puns and levels and references to things past and present, and that's just in the name of it. It's a story of a treasure hunt. Academic Roland Michel discovers a pair of letters written by Randolph Ash, an acclaimed and loved poet of the Victorian era, to an unknown woman. Through research and connections, he discovers that the woman is Christabel Lamotte, another Victorian poet, contemporary to Ash, but with very few actual connections to him. Roland is joined on his quest by Dr. Maud Bailey, who's a Lamotte specialist, and they soon confirm and prove the connection between Ash and Lamotte, but they're held back in releasing the story. By their commitment to their work and their colleagues and friends and lovers but mostly to the story that they're unfolding a story that's told through letters and journals and poetry it's an amazing story and dr byatt's taking great pains to ensure that every part of it is meticulously written and prepared the poetry is an authentic pastiche of the period with two distinct voices that of ash and lamotte and they all, it also contains a lot of the themes and interests of the day. And it's also good poetry, which really helps. The modern day story of Roland and Maud is also compelling as we find them as torn by their situation as Randolph and Christabel were a century or more before them. And look, if you can find two better names for a quest story than Roland and Maud, I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, for a literary historical treasure hunt, the stakes are refreshingly small in possession. It's not anything like the Da Vinci Code or Foucault's Pendulum, where secret knowledge to determine the future of the world is at stake. It just concerns the reputations of two people who are long dead and how best to reveal that information, or if it gets revealed at all, and how it will affect scholarship in the field and their descendants. This is a long-term favorite of mine. I first read it after it won the Booker Prize, and it. I reread it as a set text in my final year at university, and I've reread it on fairly regular-ish intervals after that. I'm not as big a fan or follower of prizes as I once was, but they're often a reasonable judge of some kind of quality, and they ensure also that you don't have to search too hard to find someone else to discuss the book with. But what I love about it is that it's put me onto all of... Uh, by its later novels as well, which I've really enjoyed, especially the wonderful children's book. Um, and it also set up a pattern of reading in my house that I often get mocked for, because quite often when I'm reading one of Byatt's novels, I've got to put them down every now and then and have a bit of a think about things, or I've got to go and look something up. So usually when I'm reading an A.S. Byatt novel, I'm not actually spending a lot of time reading an A.S. Byatt novel. But It is a story that gives you more resonance and meaning the further you dig into it and the more familiar you become with it, the more you get out of it and it overlaps and turns on its own tail. It gives clues and nuggets of meaning and provides twists and surprises and it's full of characters that you can cheer for and cry with. It can be hard work and it can be frustrating, but like all puzzles, solving it or getting that key piece that makes the other pieces fit around it is a real pleasure. John Donne wrote that no man is an island. Following that line of thought, how many people would it take to make a nation or a culture? Terry Pratchett's novel, Nation, asks these questions and even tries answering them. It takes place in a parallel world with some significant differences to our own, yet somehow still manages to come up with Jane Austen, William Shakespeare and Charles Darwin. Anyway, Europe's been ravaged by a plague and the search is on to find the heir to the throne. He's a bureaucrat in this world's version of the Pacific Islands, and he's looking for his daughter, Ermentrude, who prefers to be called Daphne, by the way. She's been shipwrecked during a tsunami onto an island nation whose population consists of Mao, the only survivor of a vibrant culture destroyed during the same tragedy. So clearly it's about rebuilding, which is what cultures are constantly doing anyway. But Mao has a problem. He doesn't think that he believes in his nation's gods, or more accurately, he doesn't believe that they deserve to be believed in, after allowing their people to be destroyed in a tsunami. So here we have the setup for a classical thought experiment of a novel. What happens when a society is redesigned from the bottom up by people wanting to follow their beliefs? It's a recipe for disaster, according to the genre, but things don't automatically go pear-shaped for Mao and Daphne. Look, I'll say at the outset, this is a novel with weaknesses. I don't believe the threat at the climax is foreshadowed clearly enough or has enough genuine build to it, and it sometimes feels like it was tacked on from a different novel altogether, which had different themes. And I don't believe that the differences between this world and ours are clearly enough delineated. But this is the rare novel that tries to explain where people get belief from and how a person can become an atheist. This is the only occurrence in literature that I'm aware of, anyway, that explains why atheism can be a logical and reasonable response to life in a way that isn't didactic and mawkish. It's my atheism. Because when I was younger, I really wanted to believe in God. Up until I was about 19 or 20, I envied people who had a strong faith. And I tried really hard to emulate it and find it in myself. But I kept running into walls not the usual stereotyped walls i didn't stub my toe and declare that god didn't prevent it ergo he didn't exist i didn't see endless misery and suffering for no real reason and declare that god didn't exist i didn't see vice triumphant and virtue ignored etc etc i just Kept finding things out that interfered with the worldview that there was a creator through my meandering reading and following things up that I didn't understand by getting someone to explain them to me or by trying to find out as much as I could from books. I came to a worldview that didn't deny God so much as explain God's absence. Try as I might. And I did. I just. Couldn't see a plan, just a long haphazard collection of inefficient occurrences that led to the world we have today and the futures we're making for ourselves. And I realized that there was no overarching purpose to my life, save what I imposed upon it, which was the big kicker, because I'm not really a raging individualist. I love being given structure and told what to do. I'm a klutz and making my own way has led to some colossal mistakes. I'd rather have a safe, easy, organized life with plans and outcomes, and religion offers that to a lot of people. But not to me, unfortunately. I don't know why, I just kept finding philosophical and moral reasons why this couldn't work, or history kept throwing up embarrassing reasons why something had happened, or that it happened before, and differently to what was being related. So I became an atheist because it was the only thing that really made sense to me. I don't know about other people. Look, I've never really known about other people, to be honest, despite spending my life also trying to solve that problem. But the God-shaped hole that people often refer to was filled in for me. I respect belief, but I'm not going to trust in it. And neither do Mao or Daphne, they don't really stop believing in gods by the novel's end. They just don't believe that they're as important as living people. And they don't stop other people believing in them either, because that's not fair. And while fairness and justice are human inventions, they require more faith and belief to keep them going than gods do. If you'd like some more Stuff Ian Likes, you can read more at StuffIanLikes.com and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Likes, which is all one word, or you can go to Facebook to the Stuff Ian Likes page. That's three words. Thanks for listening.